Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom now. Here we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission, inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. This week's episode is with Benina, aka Nina, content creator, host of the Mama's Knows Best podcast. Chances are you have seen her reels on Instagram or her TikToks pulling together cute and stylish outfits online. I have to say, Nina just gets it. On her social, she shares the highs and lows of motherhood, self-love and acceptance, and dressing her midsize mom bod with her audience in a relatable and honest way. She regularly chats with her followers about everything from fashion to mental health and home decor to marriage and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Now in this conversation, we go deep. We get right into it. And, you know, we don't talk about the service level mom conversations. We dive into Nina's past and her childhood experience as a refugee and how her mother saved her living without a father, her mental health, her experience with depression and postpartum anxiety, how her childhood experience affected her as an adult, and what she's done to heal those wounds while also being a mom. We also dive into the pressures of sharing your life online and what happens when we're scrolling through and looking at those picture-perfect feeds and how that can make you feel as a mom. Now, this conversation is a reminder that everyone has a story, Everyone has their trauma and there's so much more than we see on social. And even though, even as creators, we try to keep it real, there's so much that doesn't make it into the feeds. And I think it's really important that we continue to remind ourselves that. All right, let's dive into the episode. All right, welcome to the show. I'm so excited we're doing this. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is so surreal. Your show's so big. Oh my gosh, not even, but thank you. I'll take the compliment. (laughs) So I was thinking the best place to start is probably the beginning. Like I would love to really like dive into the meat of your story, like your childhood, like, you know, how you came to be the person that you are today, because you're really open about you know, your mental health and your experience in motherhood and, you know, finding yourself and confidence. But there's a lot of stuff that happens before then that leads us to become the person that we are today. So I think that's where I want to begin. Like, let's just start from the very beginning. Like, what was your childhood like? Let's go back to the beginning. So I'm actually from Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is from the former Yugoslavia. It's in Eastern Europe. If Most people know where Italy is and where Greece is. So if you look at Italy and Greece on a map, right in between them is the former Yugoslavia. And in the early 90s, there was a civil war there, kind of like what's going on right now in Eastern Europe, but it was very religious-based. And ethnic cleansing type stuff. I was two or three years old when it all started and my parents were in the midst of kind of separating and the war was starting. There was bombing going on and my mom at the time was like kind of transitioning into single mom life. She was like, I got to get my kids out of here. So she fled the country with literally a backpack, myself and my brother. I was again two or three, he was one. And just thinking about us being those ages, I'm like, oh my God, those ages are so hard. My mom took us, we fled the country and went to Germany. But before we went to Germany, we had we were refugees in different areas. So I think in Serbia, maybe Austria, we stopped. All I remember There was just a ton of military everywhere, guns everywhere, just really angry men and women and children, no men. And I have one very clear memory of one of the bus rides. It was our last bus ride because there was multiple connections. There was my mom, my brother, and I, and there was a man on the bus. And it wasn't very common to have men on the bus because all the men had to stay back and fight. And can you even believe this? His last name happened to be the same as ours. 
And the military, I remember, and like at the moment, at that time as a child, I didn't know any any of this. But now as an adult, my mom explained it back to me. They were going to kill this man for getting on the bus. And they were like literally ready to kill him, like right outside of the bus. And my mom told them he was my dad, like he was our dad because we had the same last name. And he like pretended to be a single dad with me. So we saved his life. And that's like one of my memories. And I just remember my mom telling me like, okay, my mom's a little crazy for this. But I remember her telling me like, just sit by that man and pretend like he's your dad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's one of my memories. But so we are on this bus. We're on our way to Germany. And I remember just thinking back on like the things I remember and comparing them now as a 34-year-old woman, I think about why I remember these things. And I specifically remember having one pillow and that was like my lifeline. I wanted that pillow all the time. It was my comfort. It was the only thing I had from home. And I just remember always holding it. We get to Germany and we get picked up at the station by people we don't know. And we get sent to this refugee camp That sounds really scary, right? But it was literally just an abandoned building. It used to be a school. On one side, it still was a school. But on the other side, they made the whole building into a refugee camp. And basically, it was like the gymnasium of a school broken down in different sections. So there were, you know, those like office dividers. That's how they made rooms. And based on the size of your family, that's how big your office or space was. So we had a window in a tiny little room. We had a twin mattress on the floor and just enough space to like walk past our mattress. There was one sink that everyone had to share. And I think there was about 50 families in the gym. And I just always remember standing in line to to wash your feet, wash your hands. Like that was your bath. But I don't remember ever being sad or scared. Maybe I was, but I don't remember that, right? Like, I feel like a lot of my traumas, quote unquote, I probably blacked out. But I just remember always having fun. There was other kids there. We played. We went to school. Our parents all were friends. And they, and at the time, my mom was in her late 20s, early 30s. So like our my age. So thinking back on that, like all of them were that age, all the parents. And it was all a mix of people. And if you know anything about the war that happened, it was primarily religion-based. So there was the Christian Catholics, and then there was the Christian Orthodox, and then Muslim. And they were all split up because of the war, and all three religions kind of took their own countries. So the Orthodox took Serbia, the Christians took Croatia, and then the Muslim took Bosnia. I was born in Bosnia. But my family is Christian. So when I was born in, it was Yugoslavia, and it didn't matter what religion you were, you were born where you were born. So it was more difficult for my mom to be accepted within like Christian communities because of one, being from a Muslim country now, and also uh, with a Muslim last name. So my dad was Muslim too. So that was kind of the story of how we got to a refugee camp. We spent seven years in Germany. Four of those years, we lived in the refugee camp. And then three of those years, we actually had an apartment. So that was really cool. And then at the time, after our seven-year mark, Germany was sending all of the refugees home to their country because now, quote-unquote, the war was over And we had nothing to go back to. We didn't have a home. My dad was no longer with us. He was with another family. And we just had nowhere to go. So my mom applied for U.S. residency. I was eight years old at the time and nine years old when we ended up coming to the U.S. So it was 1998. All I remember is going to the doctor all the time getting shots, getting blood drawn, like getting checked out. Like I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea I was about to move to another country, my third country in my life. And we get on an airplane with one suitcase and my pillow. I always had my pillow. And we came to the U.S. And actually, I was just at O'Hare Airport recently. And they walked us to get back through customs, the U.S. Customs. 
it was the same exact hallway I came in when I was nine years old. And I oh, wow. like I had like a flashback memory of sitting on the there's benches along the wall for people entering the country on visas or entering the country as refugees or immigrants. So I remember sitting there and we sat at the airport for hours and we had an agent coming back and forth, giving us papers. And so we spent a lot of time at the airport. We finally came in and my cousin was our sponsor. So you had to be sponsored to come in. I mean, he's like a seventh cousin, like so far off, but like to us, he was the only family we have. So he was only in his early twenties. Kate brought us to the U.S. and got us an apartment. And because we were refugees of war, we lived in Chicago. So they really did help us like kind of get settled. So that's how my life started in America. I was nine years old. We lived in Chicago, South Side. We lived in a studio apartment. My mom worked three jobs until I, honestly, I I don't think she didn't work three jobs until I started working at age 16. And in 2001, we moved to Janesville, Wisconsin. And we came to Janesville as, again, refugees. We were sponsored by a church. And the reason we were leaving Chicago is because we lived in a really bad area and my mom didn't want that for us. Like, our school, the school we were going to was pretty unsafe. And so we were sponsored by a church and they gave us an apartment and a car. I mean, we literally are so, we've been so blessed. We are literally Mm -hmm. living the American dream. Like we came here, we utilized the help that we had. And then my mom took all of that and worked so hard to give us what we have and then to now have what she has. And now she owns her own business, a home health care. This is so emotional. This this makes me emotional. She owns a home health business, and most of her clients are the people that brought us here. They're old now, right? They're like in their 80s, 90s, and she takes care of them. Wow. And, And I'm a nurse. I'm an ER nurse. I work for the VA hospital, and I never knew anything about the VA, and I just felt so pulled Because I just remember feeling like I was saved by America. You know, we were saved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me recoup here. (laughs) I (laughs) I felt like I was saved. And the least I can do is give back to the men and women of this country that, like, sacrifice their lives. So... I'm extremely proud of that piece of me. I'm extremely proud. I don't share it a lot on social media because it is a federal job. So like, you know, you just kind of keep that stuff a little private. But I do feel extremely proud of working at the VA and taking care of veterans. And my brother's a firefighter. So I feel like we all kind of came full circle. But with all of that came a lot of baggage, a lot of trauma, a lot of You think like you think, wow, my life is so great now. I'm living the American dream. But now I have two kids of my own and I'm like, holy cow, I'm really messed up. Like I need a lot of therapy. Yeah. And when did you realize that that was going on? Because in listening to your podcast and just kind of watching you online, it's like you feel like everything's fine, right? Like I don't know about you. Like I have my own kind of trauma from my childhood, like more like abandonment stuff from my parents. But Growing up, I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm totally fine. I'm tough. I'm this. I'm that. And then it never phased me. And then I got to be a mom and a stepmom. Mm-hmm. And it's like all the stuff just came, hello, you yeah. still have this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can't, like, I know we've talked about this on my podcast with you. Like, I can't even imagine, like, Becoming a mom is essentially what kind of opened up all these cans of worms. I knew I had coping issues and like just from relationships, like having relationships in my young adult life. Like I knew that there was coping issues and like trust issues and abandonment issues. Like I felt abandoned by my dad my entire life. For 22 years until I met my dad, I knew in my mind he left us and he was never coming for us and he never wanted anything to do with us. And that's on top of like going through all this trauma by myself and my mom. So I never really had healthy relationships. And the hel- the relationship with my husband was such a good relationship. But I also 
thinking back, like can think of all the moments where I was just so toxic and coped with things like totally wrong. But in, in that moment, I never did anything about it. But then I had kids and I had extreme postpartum anxiety with my first child. And that's when I knew like something was wrong. I'm not coping well, but I didn't do anything about it. It wasn't until I had my second child three and a half years later that I finally uh, sought out therapy. And that's when I started realizing I had all this childhood trauma, generational trauma, literally like cultural trauma, all kinds of stuff. And on top of everything that I went through as a refugee and an immigrant, I also had the, my parents are divorced. My dad's not in my life. I had like the being poor thing. Like we didn't have money. We had a lot of money insecurity. And I was just talking to my therapist about this a couple weeks ago. We never had treats. We only had as much food as we needed to be fed. So like I have binging issues, you know, like I have all these issues that I'm finally finding out about at age 34. And it was literally because I had kids. I'm trying to raise humans and I don't know how without being completely broken all the time. And I'm learning, as you know, right? Your kids teach you the best lessons in life. Mm -hmm. What does postpartum anxiety look like for you? Postpartum anxiety for me with my first and second was very different. So with my first, I was like constantly Googling, constantly looking things up, feeling very insecure about everything that was happening. I never really trusted my instinct. And I just remember thinking, I'm not going to be like my mom was. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to allow cry it out. I'm not going to – like I was so adamant and and determined to parent differently. And not that my mom was a bad parent. I love her dearly. Like people who know me know that she's my greatest joy in life. But she was the very typical traditional one, right? The one that's like punishment, don't cry, go to your room, like typical. And like at the time, she probably just didn't know better. But I didn't want to be that with my child. And I just had this intense anxiety about letting anyone hold him. I didn't want anyone to get off of routine. Like I, we wouldn't go anywhere. We wouldn't do anything. It was just so intense with my daughter. I had very intense postpartum rage and irritability. So that's technically categorized under depression. So like the way they explained it to me, it's like a depression and then everything is kind of within that window. When I think depression, I was like, well, I'm not sad. I love my kids. Like I'm happy I have my kids. But (laughs) I was just driving me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was just extremely irritable. I was like, get away from me. Don't touch me. And any little thing that my, at the time he was three, anything that he did that was normal within his development or age, I couldn't handle. I would go from zero to a hundred. And my therapist now will tell me, you never were at a zero though. You have to consider that. Like you went probably (laughs) went from like an eight to a 10. So thinking about it like that, because you're at that heightened state of anxiety, depression, irritability, whatever, you're never at a zero, right? So with her, I felt I didn't have that anxiety of like looking everything up, not letting anyone hold her. She was also my second child. So I was like, whatever, whoever wants to hold her can hold her. But it was more like screaming at my kids and screaming at my husband. And I just felt like everything was a nuisance, like nothing felt good. And the moment I decided I needed help was... Six weeks postpartum with my daughter, my son was standing in the kitchen, and I'll never forget this day. He was standing at the sink with me, and he was, mom, mom, mom. And I looked at him, and and I literally just, it flashed in front of my face, me picking him up with my arms and throwing him across the room. Like, I didn't do it. That's just the vision I got. So it was an intrusive thought. And I immediately started crying. And I was like, get away from me. Because I was like, what the hell? Like, am I going to hurt him? Like, what, what does this mean? Why am I having these visions? And I remember grabbing his shoulders and being like, get away from me. And that's when I was like, I'm not okay. I need to do something about it before I like go further. 
So I called my OB. Well, I went to my six-week appointment and the girl taking my blood pressure, she's like, okay, so how's your mood? You know, they give you that like questionnaire. (laughs) And I literally just sat there and looked at her and this poor girl, she's like probably in her early 20s, like living her best life. And I'm like, I'm not okay. I just started bawling and I was like, I'm not okay. Something's wrong. Like I need help. And she just looked at me like, um, okay, let me go get the doctor. <laughs> she just literally, I don't think it's not common for moms to say they're not okay at their six week checkup. So my OB was amazing. She was like, let's not even check your whatever <laughs> lady parts. She's like, let's skip that. Let's just take care of your mental health right now. And so she just skipped all that invasive stuff and we talked. She put me on Lexapro and gave me a card to a therapist. And I did it. I called the therapist. I was so determined. I was so nervous I was going to hurt my child that I mm-hmm. was like, I need the strongest medication you have right now to knock me out of this. Yeah. Well, good for you, right? Because I think that's like the first time when we're like, okay, something's not right when you have kids because like there's other people at risk here, right? Mm-hmm. And you just, so badly for all the moms listening so badly want to be the best mom ever like you want to be good you want to be calm you want to be collected and you want your kids to feel loved but on top of being burnt out and constantly on there's also that trauma that you never dealt with as a kid like we all mm-hmm. have trauma like yeah my my trauma is very dramatic, right? Like I had a a very rare type of upbringing, but every single one of us has trauma and people think that trauma has to be a big thing, but it can be a little thing. You get lost Mm -hmm. in a supermarket. Your parents can't find you. You have moments of feeling abandoned and alone and scared that can literally cause you trauma later in life. Mm -hmm. Or you feel like your feelings aren't being heard. Like anything about your emotions, you feel not safe to just be. I remember mm-hmm. I went to a therapist once. Her name was Bonnie. Bonnie retired. I really wish she didn't because she's she's like the therapist I got so deep in with. And it was like, I don't know if I can tell the whole story again. But so she said kids need to feel loved and they need to feel safe. Like those mm-hmm. are the two things kids need. And like yeah. it's not just feel safe. They need to feel safe to be themselves, safe to their feelings, and they just need to feel that unconditional love. And it feels so simple when you say it, but when you really like dive into those words, there's a lot there, right? And there's a lot of lack. Yeah. So with my son, he's a he's a deep feeler, sensitive. I will have moments of like flipping out on him. I'm human. I will I will say things that I regret, like, God, get away from me. You're annoying me. Blah, blah, blah. Like I, of course, I feel guilt and shame, but I make sure I follow up with there's nothing in the world that you can do to make me stop loving you. I love you Uh so much and you are safe. And mommy has really big feelings sometimes and they're not your fault. Yes, kids need to feel loved and safe, but we can't do that every single day, all day. Like it's just so hard to give them that lovey, dovey, dovey, dovey all day long because you're just, Uh you can't right? I feel it's really important to recognize that and be okay with it, but then also just follow up with you're safe. Mommy's having big feelings. I love you. Even when you're throwing and hitting and whatever, I still love you. And Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of us, I mean, especially our generation, right? Like you can relate. We probably didn't hear that growing up. Uh, No, we were were told to shut (laughs) up and don't cry and go to your room and you know, yeah, like, or oh, something's get over wrong it. with you. <laughs> right. But I, you know, to go back to what you just said, though, like, I kind of disagree how you're saying, like, you can't make them feel loved and safe all the time. Because I think your kid does feel loved and safe when you're teaching him. Yeah. People have big emotions. Your mom is a human being. You know, we're all going through things, but you're still loved and safe amidst yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know what you're saying. Let me rephrase what I meant by that. I meant there you're not every day, you're not going to be able to be the perfect lovey-dovey mom. There are days where you're going to be like you're annoying, get away from me, and they're not they're going to feel like, "Whoa, she doesn't love me" because 
truly, I have toddlers. Toddlers truly believe that you don't love them when you do and say things like that. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is when you have those moments, it's just really important to verbalize and show love. To, yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. And just the power of apology with kids. Yeah. Right. I think, I don't know about you, but I just kind of grew up thinking my parents, despite how I was raised and things that went on, it was like, I thought they just kind of like had their shit together and they knew what was going, like they knew what they were doing and they were adults. And because they were the adults, they needed to know. And now that I, like, sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, how are you a grown up? You know, yeah. <laughs> how am I a grown up responsible for kids? And like, why did I not get ID'd at the LCBO? Right? Like, I still feel like I'm still yeah. figuring this stuff out. But we're parents now, and our kids look at us and as if we have it all together and we think we know what we're doing. But I think what's changing now is is we can apologize to our kids and be like, "Hey, you know, that wasn't my shiniest moment. I should have listened to you, or I mm-hmm. should have." you know, responded to you in a different way or, you know, I had big feelings yesterday and like, that wasn't cool, but you know what I mean? Like we're normalizing the human experience, which I don't think we received. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. My four-year-old, I'll say to him, I'm just trying to be a better mom. I'm trying not to yell. I'm trying not to be mean. And he'll say, you are the best mom ever. And then like literally two hours later, I'll yell at him for something or raise my voice and he'll be like, mommy, you said you weren't going to yell. <laughs> he'll literally <laughs> call me out on it. The best is when you say to your kids, <laughs> you're like, so I always say to the teenagers, I'm like, so at what point, like if I've asked the same thing nicely, like eight or nine times, I said, so what point is it appropriate for me to lose my shit? Like I, I remember having a conversation with my stepson, he's 15 and like, you know, the bedroom has always been an issue. And I said, Hey, so I've asked you to like take the food and clean up your bedroom. I'm going to say for like three weeks now, cause he goes back and forth with his mom. So I said, so at what point is it appropriate for me to get real pissed off? Cause I'm feeling like it's coming. When do you think would be reasonable for me to kind of snap on this? And he looks at me, we're like driving the car. He's like, if I don't do it by tomorrow, you can snap. I'm like, okay, oh, cool, deal. And I love he that. <laughs> it's like you put it on them. It's so funny to be like, tell me, tell me what you think I should do. Yeah. Here. I actually like <laughs> I've been saying this thing lately and I I I have this like guilt around it because I don't know if it's right. But I'll say to my son, I'll say, I'm going to get very angry. Please stop doing that. And I don't, I almost wonder, like, am I making him responsible for my anger? Am I scaring him into cooperating because I'm saying that? Like, I don't know. Or or am I just like telling him like, okay, I'm going to lose my shit if you don't put your socks on right now. Well, I think it's very similar. Like it's yeah. similar to what I'm saying. It's like, I've asked you nicely. This is not new. We need to put our socks on. The consequence of this is going to be, I'm just giving you a heads up. Yeah. So you you tell me how you want to proceed here <laughs> because yeah, I can't like what's this the plan? Anymore. Yeah, giving them yeah. the chance to have a plan, but yeah, it's not easy. I don't know about you, but I'm always questioning. Like, did I say that right? Am I doing it right? And I just don't know. There's no book on parenting that can prepare you for parenting any of it. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. Well, I think if you're thinking about it, you're doing it right because I think a lot of parents aren't thinking about it right. Yeah. So if you're if you're conscious enough to be like questioning how things are going, chances are you're on the right track. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving who also help support the show. One of my goals for the new year is to eat out less. If you know me, you know that I love a good restaurant meal. I would eat out every night if I could. But now with Porta, I can recreate the restaurant at home with chef-made Italian classics sent right to my door. Meals are ready within minutes with high-quality ingredients from Italy and plans that fit my schedule. There's no prep, no mess, it's perfect. The chefs at Porta make their food from scratch and then flash freeze it to lock in the flavor. I'm talking pasta, desserts, pizza, risotto, pastries. Porta is literally a dream. You just have to give it a try. Head to eatporta.com and choose your meals, pick your schedule, and then use the code JAMIE30 for 30% off. 
for restaurant quality Italian classics right to your door, go to www.eporta.com and use the code Jamie30 for 30% off. That's eporta.com and use the code Jamie30. As you know, my mindset has really changed around the importance of a healthy lifestyle, and I have been making my health a huge priority. Now, over the last year or so, I have started to integrate some micro habits into my day to help me be healthier, more energetic, and to really change the way that I feel. Now, one of the micro habits that I have integrated is Element. Here's the deal. When you are deficient in electrolytes, it can cause headaches and cramps and fatigue and feelings of weakness. Straight up, it can make you feel like garbage. And having a sufficient amount of electrolytes in your system can regulate your appetite and curb cravings and overall just make you feel much better. Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low carb diets or practicing intermittent fasting or physically active or sweat a lot. And a lot of the electrolyte drinks have sugar and artificial ingredients and coloring, which is not needed and unhealthy. Now get this, according to the FDA, over 70% of sodium in the typical US diet is consumed from packaged and processed food. Now you do need sodium. So when you adopt a whole food diet and you're eliminating the processed food and all of that crap, you actually eliminate a lot of the sodium from your diet. Now, obviously it's not recommended that you reintroduce the processed food, but not replacing that sodium can negatively impact how you feel, which is where Element comes in. So Element is a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for anyone following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. It has none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I personally have Element every single day, mostly when I'm working out, but also when I'm feeling dehydrated or perhaps had some wine the night before. Now Element is offering a free sample pack with the purchase for my listeners. When you order through my link, they have a money back guarantee. So if you don't like it, you can get your money back. And this sample pack allows you to taste the different flavors and just figure out what your favorite is. Personally, mine is watermelon and raspberry is a close second. So just head to www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickass stepmom. That's drink lmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom to place your order and get your free sample pack. That's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom. I'd love to dive into your experience going on the medication. Cause did you say on your Instagram, you came off? Yes. So I was on medication. So first I was on Lexapro and that didn't work for me. I was on it for six, eight weeks maybe. And around the six week mark after being on it. So for like two weeks at week four, between four and six, I was like, wow, I feel so good. I felt really good. And then around six weeks, I was slowly getting back into like those intrusive thoughts. And so the symptoms I was having is irritability, uh, rage, intrusive thoughts, and chest pain. I was having very bad chest pain. So I changed to Prozac and I was on Prozac the rest of the time. And I just came off of that in October, which honestly, like I should have just listened to everyone around me was the worst time to get off medications is before the holidays and before winter in Wisconsin. So regretting that, but the way my therapist says it is medications are great. They're amazing and they can really change people's lives. And they did for me. But I felt like I wanted to see because up until then I was never on medications but I wanted to see if I can get off of it and do it without them. And the way my therapist mm-hmm. explains it is you can, in your case, you just have to do the basic things. And the, the basic things sound so simple, but they're not. Like eating mm-hmm. breakfast every day, exercising, going outside, sleeping. Currently, I'm not sleeping. I'm not exercising as much as I should. I'm not going outside. So just those three things alone can really affect how I'm coping. So I was on Prozac. Prozac was amazing. I loved it. Um, I have on my Instagram, if anyone wants to really dive in, 
three highlights saved called mental health and I share everything. And I feel like mental health and going on and off medications and being in therapy, I see people post like, this is me before and this is me after. But I can't really tell you that there is a before and after. It's literally a during. It's a roller coaster. There can be a before and then there can be an after and then there can be an after or before again. Like it goes up and down for me. I have days where I'm like, I'm doing really well. And then I can have periods of I'm not doing well. And I Mm -hmm. want to normalize that because you can't expect to be working through trauma and go from before to after. Mm -hmm. I agree a thousand percent. Like the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, I feel like I've come so far. I've done so much healing. I, you know, have all these tools. I'm in therapy. I've done all the things. I want to try to go down on my dose of my anxiety meds. So I was doing that slowly, like weaning myself off. And I thought I was fine, thought I was fine. And then I was not fine. And so like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same experience that I was like, okay, I I can do this on my own. I was like, no, actually I did a lot of that work because I could, because I was on the medication. Like, I don't think this is the time for me to, for me to come off. Yeah. And it was such an eye-opening experience too, because you're like, oh, I had anxiety. I've dealt with anxiety. Or you see the post, how I've, how I've mastered my anxiety, how I've dealt with my anxiety. It's like, I really feel like this, just this ongoing journey that, you know, some days you've got it. Some days you're like super anxious and having an anxiety attack, even when you're on your medication, or maybe for some of us, we can't get off or it's not the right time or we don't have the right support, but it isn't just this like one and done. You know, yeah. oh, I, like, I've dealt with this. I've done my personal development, dealt with my childhood trauma, done. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just doesn't work like that for me at yeah. least. No, and I really don't think it does for anyone, but you know, uh, that's just my opinion. I see posts like people showing, like in 2022, I was in January 2022, this is me, and they show themselves crying. And then December 2023, they're like, yeah, I'm good. But like, what about everything in between? And then what about in two weeks? Like, I was just telling my therapist today, it's so easy for me to compare myself to social media. I look at right now, what's trending on social media is vlogs. I see these moms waking up at 5 a.m. to work out, have their pre-workout, get dressed, do this and that. And then they're like, oh, it's 6.30. I'm going to go wake my kid up now. And I'm like, what the fuck? What about the moms that have kids in bed with them and can't dare move a bone because their kids will wake up and then, you know, the morning's sucky because no one got to sleep. And what about that reality? (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Do you feel like social media triggers you in like motherhood at all? Yes, it does when I'm consuming a lot of it. So I go in these ruts where I'm consuming too much content. And because I'm a content creator, and you can probably relate to this, not only are you consuming the motherhood parts of it or the like self-love and body, whatever, whatever's out there, you're consuming not only that, but you're also thinking about holy shit, how can I create this content? How can I do better? How can my content be better? How can I blah, blah, blah. So like, not only am I personally consuming it, but I'm also consuming it for my business. And it's just like a downward spiral. So the best thing I can do for myself is set limits and just stay off. But Mm -hmm. currently in this moment, I'm in a rut. I'm in a very big, it's been the last three weeks. I'm, I'm in a low, let's call it a low. I was in a very good high in November. I was in a high. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's a roller coaster. What about you? Yeah. I'm curious. Like, do you find yourself? Well, it's really interesting because I was going through. See, I get really caught up in the reels. Like yeah. mm-hmm. all of you guys who can do like the reels and like the outfits and like, you, you know, and you're just like so like off the cuff and like doing these reels. Like it's not me. I can, I don't, I can't see myself dancing and, and doing that or even like the out, like you guys are just so good at it. And it's like mm-hmm. not my thing. And for the longest time, I think when, when reels started to come into play, I was like wanting to do them or I should be doing them or, you know, feeling that pressure. Cause it's like a quote unquote trend. But then I was like, that's not me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally not who I am as a person. So it's like getting, like finding that groove. And that's where I have to like talk myself down, right? Like I'm like, am I inspired right now or am I comparing myself? Yeah. Right. But, you know, even this morning I have this thought, I'm like, God, her reels are good. Like when I was going through your, through your feed, like prepping for the interview, but so we all really do it. It's really interesting too, because I think like I would look at you online and be like, oh my gosh, she has it all together. She has like, you know, so, so much confidence and like, you know, she's just killing it. And then you're like, I'm comparing myself and I feel like shit Mm -hmm. today. Right. Like no one's seeing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to show more of that. And you know, it's funny. My therapist said exactly what you said this morning. She said, but are you really? Because I told her, I'm like, I want to be the mom that gets up at five and works out. And my kids magically slept all night in their bed and da, 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 da. She's like, but are you that mom? Do you want to be that mom because other people are that mom? Or are you, or is your morning going to look different? Because that's okay too. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like accept that my mornings are different. Maybe I am in pajamas until 9 a.m. I'll never be the mom that has her hair, makeup, and clothing on before 8 a.m. So back to the real stuff that you were saying, I actually recently, I was so discouraged by seeing all these vlogs of these moms showing their routines and day in life. And I'm like, why? how is her 18-month-old so calm and quiet and like, doesn't knock her camera over when she's filming, you know? But then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just show exactly what life looks like. So I did a whole day where I showed snippets of my day in stories. No lighting, no editing, nothing. Literally would just take a video and post it. I had like 40,000 people watching those stories that day messaging me like, holy shit, like I needed to see this. This is my life. This is what my life looks like. This is Mm -hmm. normal. And it's funny, like I show it and I get praised for it, but then I still compare myself. Well, you're right. And it is, we are seeing a lot of like curated content and reels. And like I create that curated content. Like I do really love a good dark overlay montage, Mm -hmm. making my greens and like, yeah, your content that, like, is so good. <laughs> see, but I I was literally just having this conversation with my sister. I was like, I feel like my feed looks like shit. And <laughs> someone else was saying it looks like, you know, we're all just like so critical of ourselves. But I think on the flip side, it's like, I actually really like creating that content. Mm-hmm. Like that brings me joy, right? Like putting something mm-hmm. together that all matches is actually just something that I really like. So, so I think we also have to remember that too, right? Like that doesn't mean that that's what my life is like all the time. It's just doing like a a dark overlay on something just brings me like the serious amount of the serious amount of joy. But at the end of the day, it doesn't perform as good as like the real life stuff, but I don't care because that's not what I'm trying to do. I just, it's more of like a creative outlet. Yeah. I will say, and I heard another creator talking about this, I will say that when I am recording a day in the life or a vlog or like get ready with me, I am more intentional with what I'm doing and I feel like it gets me more motivated. It it almost grounds me. It gets me more inspired. So if Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit all day and work, I could easily just sit on the couch and do nothing or if I'm recording my day in the life and like what you I'm need doing, shot. I'm more, <laughs> I, I can't just sit there and do nothing. Like I have to actually do something. So it actually inspires me to make my bed, to do my makeup. So yeah, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a gray. I love gray a good zone. morning routine though. Like certain people like yeah. love morning routines and certain people don't like, uh, you know, I'm someone, I look at people who like get up really early and work out every day. I don't work out every day really early, but I want to be that person. So yeah. then it's like, okay, do I want to be that person? Cause I like the real, or do I want to be that person? Cause I actually want to do that. I like that way of looking at it, but it is, it's hard having a community. You have a community of moms and you have mm-hmm. grown this amazing community that trusts you and looks to you and the same, right? So it it's hard. It's like, I don't want to do too much and make myself look like what I'm doing is not attainable. But then at the same time, I also don't want to just be negative either because mm-hmm. I think negativity is so contagious. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of negativity online in the real space. Yeah. Like I, mm-hmm. I do say like, that's kind of my 
a bit of my struggle with online right now. It's like being a mom is hard. Being a stepmom mm-hmm. is hard. Like there's a lot of challenges. There's mental health. There's all these things that we need to talk about 100%. And I think we need to be real about it. But there's a lot of really great things about motherhood. Like those tiny little moments during the day that don't mm-hmm. seem significant. But when you're like even recording and doing like reels or you're doing like Insta stories or whatever, like those are the moments where you're like, wow, you know, that's what this is all about. And mm-hmm. I think shifting from that, you know, negative headspace, like when you're looking for all the negative things, you're going to see more negative things. Like, exactly. I don't know about you, when I'm pissed off, I can see a whole lot of, a lot of other things to be pissed off about. But yep. when I'm looking for good, I see a lot of good. Yes, I agree. 100%. It's when you surround yourself with the negativity and like, being a mom is so hard. I need a bottle of wine, blah, blah, blah. But then, and then it, that like makes you think, oh, okay, well, it is hard. So I'm going to have a bottle of wine too. Like this sucks. Mm-hmm. But looking at the positive posts and that remind you like, yes, it's hard, but you are in control of how you handle that. It is hard. It's, and then you can still have a glass of wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Just> celebrate. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't You Yeah. Like I'm a big believer that like you shouldn't use wine. I think wa- mommy wine culture is so toxic. I've talked about this on my mm-hmm. podcast before. I don't think we should be blaming our children for drinking. But yes, having a glass of wine is totally okay. Mm -hmm. I do think like that's an interesting thing. I didn't even mean to bring that up. But online too, like there's so many like shifts, right? And like trends. So like it was like mama needs wine, like during COVID and all of that. And then now there's almost like this like shame in sharing anything to do with wine, right? Like someone's going to like be on you about like, like here's the thing for me. Like I, I meditate, I work out, I eat my greens, go outside. I go to therapy. Sometimes my day, I just like love the ritual of like a glass of wine at the end of the day too, right? And it's like, now it's like sometimes you can't even talk like say anything because it did get so toxic and we almost have to like Mm -hmm. reel it back in. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it is everything, everything is a trend online and it's so easy to get canceled. And I think as long as you are able to recognize like, why am I doing this? And what are the needs for this? Whether it's mm-hmm. wine or chocolate or meditating, whatever, like, as long as you feel good about it in, in your own mind and body, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about your community and how you started doing what you're doing. Cause you're like, oh, you have this big community, but girlfriend, you've got <laughs> something big happening over there. So share a little bit about what made you start this. Uh, they're the best. Like I feel so lucky and blessed to have the community that I have. They are like my sisters and friends and talking to my, I don't even like to say followers. They're like my friends, right? Some of them I've become friends with in real life. And the way it grew was literally me sharing everything, like sharing the unfiltered life. I am who I am in person and I'm the same way online. I don't put up a front I mean, obviously, like in my clothing videos, like I try to look put together, you know, like nobody's going to look great. (laughs) But in my stories, you see just my normal life. I'm very honest about everything. And I think that is exactly how I grew my community. I talk about the hard things. I talk about the things that are true in my life that many people don't talk about. Mental health Mm -hmm. is a big one. Motherhood and my community really grew when I was talking about respectful parenting because I basically said, I really want to be a respectful parent, but I don't know how because I'm not. And I was not raised with a respectful parent. So to me, it was extremely important to learn that. And my community- What's respectful parenting? Like gentle parenting. Oh, that's hard. You know, the trend. Have you heard yeah, of You know what? I don't consume a lot of content. So, but I know even Renee, the mom room talks a lot about gentle parenting. Um, yeah. So yeah, gentle. So, okay. I get where you're going. I think she kind of like makes, doesn't she kind of make fun of it? Mm-hmm. Renee? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a privilege. Yeah. So gentle parenting is basically, and I talk a lot about this on my socials and podcasts. I've kind of backed up away from it, but it's a nickname for authoritative parenting. It is the form of parenting where you take authoritative and permissive and you mix them up and then you get authoritarian, which is 
strict rules, boundaries, discipline. However, you are respectful and kind and consider your child's feelings and make sure your child feels loved. Like basically it's like the ideal type of parenting. It doesn't include punishment that's not related to the situation. Like my child throws a toy. I'm not going to say no iPad for three weeks. Like that's not related, right? Like what did the iPad do when he threw a toy? I would say, okay, we're going to put this toy away and you don't get to play with it for the rest of the day. And there's just a lot to it. And I love gentle parenting, but I think it's gotten so out of context on social media. People think it's like this permissive, fluffy, kitty parenting. It's not at all. Very strict boundaries and rules and So my community grew there because people felt like they could relate to me because I was trying to unlearn yelling and punishing and bribing and shaming, like shaming your kids and bribing. And so people kind of came along and I got a lot of lashback too. I got a lot of like, oh, this is just not realistic. Your kids are going to grow up to be a bunch of pussies. (laughs) But... (laughs) But yeah, so my community grew there and I was so exhausted from sharing parenting stuff because I'm not an expert in parenting. So I felt like I was kind of a fraud. So I just shifted away from it, started talking about my body and mom style. And so now I'm kind of a mix of everything. I have um, almost a half a million on TikTok and that's strictly more of a fashion space. And then my podcast is kind of my passion project. Like I just Mm -hmm. feel so passionate about it. I talk to experts on topics that are difficult topics and people, and it's free. Like it's a free resource. As you know, like you've been on my podcast and I've had so many stepmoms and broken families come to me and say, thank you for sharing that. So I, Mm -hmm. I just, that's my baby. Um, my Mm -hmm. Instagram is kind of a mix of my whole life. Well, you're doing great things. Yeah. I, you know, I love the conversations that you're sharing and I really appreciate just how like raw and vulnerable you were on this podcast, because I think, you know, we do see people online and we, we, we kind of touch on what we've overcome in our lives, but we don't get to hear about that kind of stuff often. And everyone does have a past and everyone has their own, you know, little traumas, big traumas, whatever it is. And it's stuff that really needs to be talked about because that's going to normalize how a lot of people are feeling. And a lot of people don't have the the platform or the goals or the community or whatever to to talk about it. So the best is when you're listening to a podcast and you're like, whoa, I've never felt so seen. I've never felt so heard. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Well, of course. And thank you for having me, letting me share that. <laughs> yeah. Now, where can everyone find you? So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok and the handles there are Balkanina and then Mama Knows Podcast on Instagram and then Mama Knows the Podcast on all podcast channels like Spotify and Apple and all that stuff. I also have a website, Balkanina.com and I send a newsletter out, but yeah, that's it. We will link all the things for you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who you think it would resonate with. And if you haven't already, if you could take a couple minutes, head to iTunes and give this podcast a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me. But only if you like the episode though. If you don't, that's cool. Just remember what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, if you are a stepmom craving more, I highly recommend joining my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to additional podcast episodes, interviews, and coaching sessions, and live Q&As, and just exclusive next-level content and conversation that I don't share anywhere else. Have an issue or a stressor that you'd like my support with? Just bring it to the Ask Jamie section of the forum. I check in throughout the week, and I'm here to help you out. To get more information or to join, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership, and I'll see you in there.